And now uh, we shift into the part of the service where we open the Bible and we look at what God's word has to say to us. And we have in the middle, right in the middle of a series we've simply called Crux. And it's just looking at what this life in Christ is really all about. It can, people can tell you, you ask a whole bunch of different pastors even about, and you can get a lot of different answers. But what we want to do is we want to come back to God's word. And we're, we've honestly, we've just been tracking through the book of Romans. If you're new at this thing of church and all that, then, then you have, a, have your, your Bible app open and you get to the New Testament, you'll see that there's the, the four historical books about the life of Jesus. We call those the Gospels. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then right on the heels of that comes the guy who wrote Luke, also wrote the next book called Acts. And with Acts, he's telling us what the early church did. First follows pretty closely the ministry of Peter, and then things begin to shift, and the rest of it follows the ministry of Paul and the churches and all of those different things. So the first five books are these historical things. These are what happened. These are, these, this is what Jesus taught. These are how things rolled. This is, he, he, he died. He resurrected. He ascended into heaven. He handed off the earthly ministry to you and I and what the early people did with that. And then we get to the sixth book. The sixth book is called Romans, and that's the one we're looking at now. And it was placed next because in it, Paul, as our early church fathers who were pulling together and, and putting the Bible in, in a specific order, with his, Romans is vital because Romans is where Paul addresses what is different about us as Christ followers and what this life in Jesus is all about. And it is incredibly practical. And we've just been looking at this chapter by chapter. And today we're in chapter 4. And we keep coming back to this concept that the crux of the matter, this is pretty much the only time we use the word crux. And so nobody says, hey, we go out to the tool shed and get me a crux. You know, I, you know, I'm about, I got a need, I've got this lever, I need some sort of fulcrum, I need a crux, I need something over here. No, we don't, we don't say that. And so, but we do understand the crux of the matter. This is what it hinges on. This is what it, this is all about. This is the focal point that when it comes to our life in God, the crux of the matter is that it all hinges on Jesus. We keep coming back to this thought as, as we look at this, we, we understand and we have to focus on understanding our life through what Jesus did. That it all comes back to that central place. I've always had a, uh, a desire to, to build things. And, and a lot of times it was much to my parents' dismay because I would tear other things apart so that I could build the things I wanted to build. And um, tear my fence apart every other picket. So we still had a fence, kind of. And so okay, I would harvest my wood that way and, and get different stuff. And, and my dad hated it because I would get his tools and I would not put them back. And he would find them in the yard and different stuff. But I was always, I love to build stuff. And I, there was a big tree on the side of our house. It was our biggest tree. It was my favorite climbing tree. How many had a favorite climbing tree growing up? There you go. You had a good childhood. You had a good childhood. We can ask this same question in another 30 years, and there'll be one poor person that 
grew up, you know, blessed out in the country with no internet that will have a favorite climbing tree, and no one else will. And um, they'll ask a different question. But I had a favorite climbing tree, and so I wanted to build a tree house up there and didn't have enough, didn't have enough lumber to build a tree house, so I built the platform that I could sit on. Well, then, of course, as soon as you got a space up in your tree, well, then, you know, you got to get stuff in your tree. And um, the dog did not like going up in the tree. Uh, that dog did not enjoy that. It was a bad idea. And tried that one time. And, uh, and so, but I decided to get stuff into my tree and myself into the tree easier. Then I needed an elevator. Every tree house needs an elevator. And so I had, I raided my dad's supplies again and found some rope and some pulleys and had just a basic working knowledge of mechanical advantage and an old gate. So I found an old gate and that was my platform and my rope and my pulleys and I was able to understand that, you know, it doesn't work real well to have one point down on the gate that you try to hang this on. You end up just kind of clinging to the gate, and it's, it's not real good. You want to sit on it. You know, you want to sit on the elevator. You want to have a flat. So I had my, each corner of my gate had a rope tied to it that then came to one central point that was then tied together and went through my pulley system. On the maiden voyage, got to use my elevator one time and because uh, I forgot stabilizers. So you have this one thing that's tying it together, and as I'm working, 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 I get to rock in my elevator, and I smash a window. And so, yeah, and so, and smash the window, and my mom was a mom, and I uh, saw the smashed window, and was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. D- dads hate smash windows, too, because, you know, they have to fix them. And uh, although some moms fix smash windows, so all's fair. And, um, but my house, it was dad fixed the smash window. And uh, so my dad got home, and my mom was like, I-, I need to show you something. And thankfully, my dad was more in awe of my elevator than he was, that he was irritated that I smashed the window. And, um, and so I, I, was, I skated out on that one. But the whole way that thing worked is everything came back to this one central place where all the pressure was put. That's the only way it was gonna, that system was going to work. And for you and I as Christ followers, so many times we say, yeah, we're thankful for Jesus and we're going to hang this on that, but the rest of everything, what some of it's going to hang over here and some of it's going to hang over here and some of it's going to hang over here and some of it's going to hang over here. And I'm telling you, as you and I track through this, what you are going to find is every place that our life in Christ holds any weight at all, it comes always back to Jesus. It always comes back to that point. Every one of them, I don't care which corner you start at, where you trace that up, anything that's going to hold real weight in your life, it is always going to come back to Jesus. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that, that Jesus is the expression or the revelation, the revelation of God. There have been all of the Old Testament begin to speak and point us towards Jesus. Jesus is revealed throughout the whole, the whole Old Testament. You can track through there and, and begin to see all of these prophetic things and all of these wonderful things throughout the writings. Whether it's very 
first in the garden all the way through into Malachi. You see Jesus all the way through. But it's all pointing to him. He's the culmination of it. So as we look at this, we understand that it all hinges on Jesus. And when we look at what it means to be made right with God, we must look at how it ties in to Jesus. Where is that root come back? And it ties in to Jesus. And today we're looking at Romans chapter 4. It's fourth week of the crux series. We're in the fourth chapter. So let's just go ahead and start with verse 1. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham... Our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If you, just to catch you up, we've been talking about how we're made right with God. And, and Paul has already made a strong case for the fact that the, we're made right with God through what Jesus did, and that's it. Through what Jesus did and nothing else. It's not works, it's not doing everything right and proving ourselves and all that. It's, it's we were hopelessly messed up. The best we had to offer did not even close measure up. And so because of that, God sent his son to save us all. Why? Because chapter 3 said none of us sought God. There wasn't any of us righteous, not a single one. So we were all in the same boat. So he sent Jesus to save us all and did that through faith. So he says, what did Abraham? What? Paul is talking to the Jewish Roman citizens here in this letter to the Romans who have their strong identity in Abraham. Now, if back then, if the Ancestry.com existed, you know, and they were able to click in and do that, and and they just, you know, if they were a Jew at that point, then they were going to find a little leaf. It says Abraham. He was the father physically of them all. After all of those thousands of years, Jesus, I mean, Abraham, had had a multitude of children. And so what Abraham had to say on anything in his life was a big, big deal. So as he is making his case for righteousness by faith alone, he comes back to Abraham. And here we are in, ver- in chapter 4. It says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God. He believed God. He believed. And then what we talk about that we're made made righteous. It's what Paul has shared the whole time. That we believe God. We looked last week that the work of God is to what? Believe in the one he has sent. Believed God and it was credited to him. It was made equal to righteousness. Abraham believed God. And it brought righteousness into his life. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, doesn't try to earn it, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And now Paul is about to shift and he's about to reach back into their shared history and grab another guy. Now this guy, he doesn't, not everybody pops up. Does this guy pop up in their lineage? But everybody wants this guy to pop up in their lineage. Just like as an American, maybe we want one of the, our founding fathers. You know, how cool would that be? A bunch of different things. Or whoever you look back in history that you would love to see as a distant ancestor Everybody wanted this guy. 
So he references him and he says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David talked about this, that the one uh, that there is this blessed, which the Hebrew word for blessed is this is their exact same word for happy. This place of contented, this place of happy, this place of that where, where life is where it sh- is supposed to be. That blessed is the one who God credits righteousness apart from works. And here he references the scriptures. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Will never count against them. Happy is the person who understands that there is a place in God where your sins are not counted against you. You know what is so tragic is there are a bunch of people who study the scriptures and who choose to follow Jesus and still have this weight of shame and guilt hanging over them and just fearful that somehow all of this stuff is still counting against them. It's still, they're, they're spinning their wheels. Maybe you're here this morning hoping to undo some stuff from the past. I kind of need to get back in church. I kind of need to do some stuff. I want to I be able to do some things, and I've really messed up. And you know what? I'm grateful you're here. I'm thankful you're here. But here's what I want you to hear, is that God loves you, that he is for you. He wants you free from that weight of guilt and shame, and he wants it way more than you do. Why? Because he paid the price for it to be gone. You just want it gone. He paid for it. You just wish it could be gone. He actually stepped in and did something while you didn't really care, while you were still building up the shame and the guilt. He stepped in to intervene. And that is what this is about. Is so that we can actually live a blessed life. Is it having everything our hearts desire and be able to write a check for anything that catches our eye? No. There are plenty of people who do that are miserable. There are plenty of people who do that. They're miserable. So what is a blessed life? A blessed life is one who stands right before God, understanding that their sin is not held against them anymore. Not because they've lived a life to undo it or unwind it or to try to put it back behind them, but because they understand that God loved them so much that he gave a son and that that took care of it all. And just stand and bask in the goodness of God poured out in your own life. That's a blessed life. That's where it exists. We have to see it comes back. It comes back to Jesus. He's the one that did this. So now... Now we understand this. We understand that we're not trying to unwind anything. We're not here to try to get good God points. So we stand at the pearly gates and he kind of hash does these hashtags and does these little marks and goes, Woo, it's kind of a toss up, you know. Um, anybody testify for this guy? Maybe he did so. This is pretty tight here. No, that's not what we're trying to un that's not what we're trying to undo. So then we talked last week, and they said, well. Okay, well then, where does, our, where does all our foolishness fit? We talked last week, well, does our foolishness fit in the category that our stupidity and our unrighteousness kind of makes God look better? 
No, why would us hurting ourselves somehow be a good thing? It's not. Well, so then if our good deeds don't make us any better, then why do good deeds matter? Why does any of this stuff matter? Let's look. First off, we need to understand this concept that anything we do outwardly should be an expression of the grace God has given us. Any of it. This morning, our worship should have just been an expression of the grace God has given us. Not a place of God, you see, I'm here. See, I showed up. Hope you take a roll. I did the half hand raise. It's got to be another little bit. I sang part of one song. I'm doing good over here, God. See me. See me, that's my, that's what this whole worship, no. It ought to be that we recognize his goodness and his grace and then it just pours out. That's why from day one, we told our worship team, you know what, there are going to be people who are, who are new to this thing. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to come in and they're going to watch worship. What? You're church, you're supposed to worship. That's why we don't tell you, hey, you need to stand up. Hey, you need to clap. Hey, you need to... This isn't some sort of driven thing. This should be an expression. And guess what? There's still to this day that people come in, they have their coffee and their donut, and they watch. You know, look at the guy standing up. So, Get up in the middle of worship, go get another donut. I run out of snacks. It's pretty good. That band's pretty good. And we're fine with that. We're fine with it. Why? Because we know that as you get and, con and connect with the goodness of God and His grace, then one day, all of a sudden, then at some point, there's going to be this expression. And maybe you put your coffee and donut down and you just sit there and you just reverently drink it in and it's an expression of the grace of God maybe you're standing in the aisle and jumping around like crazy man rust over here maybe so but there's all sorts of expression but whatever it is it should be an expression of the grace that's been recognized not some sort of religious duty or obligation not at all and Paul addresses this because the Jewish culture had gotten off base majorly. Their, their first guy, the first guy who had a relationship with God is Abraham. And he had a relationship and he was made right with God completely by faith. This is way before Moses, Moses chiseled the Ten Commandments. Abraham didn't know the Ten Commandments. Abraham couldn't quote those to you. He didn't know them. You know, Abraham didn't know the Ten Commandments? No! It came a long time later. A long time later. You know what he knew? He knew that God was trustworthy. He knew God was real. And he knew God was, wanted to do something special in his life. And he yeah. dared to live his whole life believing that. Yeah. That was what made Abraham different. And that's what that nation got birthed under. And they turned it into, and no shame on them, we do the same thing into some sort of religious thing we can check off a box and say we did that good don't we look sweet 
do the same thing. Now let's look at this. Their number one sign, their number one sign of their covenant with God was Abraham's first sign of his covenant, which was this concept called circumcision. Circumcision is, is the, re- the removal. It's the removal of this piece. You can study it later if you need to. But it was, this, it was this sign, this outward sign. And they took a lot of pride in the fact that that set them apart from other nations. That at eight days old, this was done. And, and Paul, when he's making an account later on, and he's trying to say, you think I don't understand the law? You think I haven't tried to do this right? And he brings in that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. And he did all of these things just right. And there's all this pride associated that, man, we're special and we're really made right with God because of everything that the simple title of the circumcised meant. So he comes back to this, and let's look at verse 9. He says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? They had a real concept that, you know what, God loves us and that everybody else is going to burn. Y'all a bunch of chumps, I'm sorry. They did. They thought that Brandon Clark with, with British and Celtic blood was, had no hope. I, there was no way that I was getting in on this because I wasn't born from Abraham. It says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? He's like, let's just think about this for a second. How was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? No, it was, a- it was not after, but before. It was an outward sign of what something that had already taken place. He believed God. He was made righteous by his faith. And guess what? That thing that set them apart and became something that all of the Jewish people did and part of their religious ceremony and all of that was an outgrowth, was this place, this outward expression of something that was already true by faith. Everything that comes out, our generosity we talked about just a little bit ago, that should be an outward expression of this inward grace. Not saying, God, I'm giving. Hope you're noticing. Trying to undo some stuff here. No, it's this outward expression of an inward reality of the grace poured out on us. He says, and he And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he's the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So it doesn't matter the state of anything. What matters is our hearts. That's what matters. See, so many times we can fall into this place where we're, we're wanting to earn some place of acceptance. 
that all of a sudden if we don't know that we're accepted, we're going to do some goofy, silly stuff on the outside to just try to fit in and try to be accepted. Remember when I was in the sixth grade, I was the last year of elementary school in Odessa, Texas. It may still be to this day, but it was then, and I was there as part of church, and we were doing a play, and any play production has a lot of downtime in the back. And there was one of the little girls in my grade at, at church that, uh, um, you know, in the sixth grade, you're, well, let's give it up. We're all, guys, we're clueless to women period so but especially in the sixth grade and so it's more so and um so I had decided I wanted to get this person's attention and so I put on a shirt that I thought was cool and I put on some jeans and pants that I thought were cool and the Walkman had come about to change the way we interact with music and uh, so you're able to all of a sudden have this music that just you could enjoy. And it was revolutionary. And we didn't have a Walkman. But we did have an AM FM radio that had a headset, which was almost as good as Walkman. But what we, we did have that, but what we didn't have were batteries. Yeah. They're needed. So... Anyway, so I decided that initially it just started out as a cool accessory, all right? It was just an accessory, like a necklace with this little thing over here. So I put on it, and I hook it up, and I was just going to wear it. I knew it didn't work, but get to the, uh, get to them hanging out in the back, and so sit in there and decide that I now need to take my, my, my game to the next level. And for whatever reason, I pulled the headphones up and began to enjoy some music that did not exist. And I'm singing and I'm doing my thing. Well, God granted me this thing called a little sister that knew exactly what was inside that uh, radio. No batteries. And she had no tact. And so I'm sitting there jamming, and she walks up, and she says, Brandon, that don't even have batteries. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm like, if I wanted to retaliate against her, I couldn't, because you just melt into a puddle of humiliation. And so then I had to double down. It's like, yes, I found some. And so I'm sitting there. Well, sure enough, sure enough. Then the girl was like, oh, cool, can I listen? So now, I either have to go, oh, they burnt out. I should have thought of that. Oh, what happened? Or snap them. Oh, yeah. Oh, crush. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, had, uh, I had leg Tourette's. I don't know what happened. And so, and, uh, but instead, I just had to be a jerk and say, no. Nope. Yeah. That whole plan backfired. But you know what started it all? You know what started the whole thing? Is me not being comfortable with me. Of me thinking I had to do something on the outside to find some sort of approval. That every, and as soon as everything on the outside wasn't based on the truth, 
then that was when everything began to unravel. And folks, that is why you and I in this, it's so awesome. Think about this. Think about this. We step in this conversion process, whatever you want to call it, this becoming a believer, this conversion process. As we step into this thing, then we start out 100% right with God. That's where we start. We start out right with him. It's not, God, I'm here, and I know you're real, and I'm ready to try harder, and I know one day you're going to accept me. Nope. It's we recognize that God loved us so much and what he did in Jesus, and we believe it. And we step over from death to life right then. And then everything we do should be based on the truth that we're right with God. Everything based on that. We turn this into anything else and it completely destroys it. Romans 4, 16 says, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to also those who have the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so no one can boast. Boom, that's where we start. Now, very next verse, very next breath, very next thought. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So are we going to do some good, awesome, God-revealing things? Yes. But why? Because we've been redeemed. We've been made right with God. And it is an outgrowth of that reality, not a trying to achieve that reality. That we're made right with Him and everything else is an outgrowth of that. It changes everything. And then the last concept I want to leave you with today is faith is trusting that God has the power to do what He has promised. We see in Romans 4, 17 through 21, we begin to see the story of Abraham and him receiving his first child. His first child that the entire Jewish nation comes back and has their lineage through says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, and he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed that God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We could spend a whole time just looking at that. <clears throat> Against all hope, all natural human hope spit in Abraham's face. All the normal stuff, a person wanting a baby, an heir, offspring, it all spit in his face. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope. So if it was against hope, how did he in hope? Why? Because there are two different kinds of hope. There's our hope that's based on God and there's our hope based on what we can do. You sit there and you go to the gym and you go, I hope I hit a personal best today. That's hope in yourself. It's not horrible. But all of our faith should be rested in 
God, then we understand there'll be two kinds of hope. So against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it was said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, I so love this, that Abraham looked and saw, he understood this, that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. He had no children not with his wife of promise sarah he did not have a child with her and he still told everybody we're gonna have a baby he's a hundred she's 90 we just feel like newlyweds we're going we're still trying i was like what's up with this old dude says, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that he was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was dead. It's pretty plain. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He's like, I'm old. <laughs> You're pretty old too. <laughs> but we're still going to have a baby. God promised. God promised. He did not waver regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Somehow, seeing the fact that it was humanly impossible made his faith in God stronger. He let go of the hope that he could bring to the table and clung 100% to the hope that he had in God. Every time, he under, every little bit of understanding he had that he couldn't do this on his own, it made his faith in God stronger. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Not saying, God, why, are you, why didn't you already give us a kid already? God, I thought you were a God of your word. He gave glory to God. He praised him. And being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Folks, some of you are in here today. And you've had a promise in your heart for a long time. You even had some action plans. You had some stuff that you felt like you could bring to the table. And life pretty much punched you in the face. You had some relationship plans. You had some family plans. You had some, <clears throat> some different goals and different things that you know your heart of heart you believe were breathed by God. Not just something you wrote down on some sort of I want to do this by the age of whatever. I'm talking about something you feel like God promised you. And you're sitting here today going, God, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Is go back to the God that promised you. And don't put your faith in what you can bring to the table. Put your faith in a God who is faithful. And don't you dare let go of that promise that God breathed into your heart. Whether it was a restoration in a relationship. Whether it was an opportunity with children. Whether it was whatever God has for you. I'm telling you, don't you dare let go of it. Don't you dare let go of it. I guarantee Abraham was tempted to let go of it. And he did not let go of it. 
And guess what? Isaac was born, and his name means laughter. Huh, how beautiful is that? The joy that came into their lives. Romans 4.22, we're wrapping up. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone. It's not just that Abraham's this faith superstar and we get to be in awe of what was accomplished. But it was also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to death for our justification. Hebrews 10, 23. This is what I want you to walk out of here with. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Our bottom line today Faith knows that God is faithful. Our faith isn't that we're faithful. Our faith isn't that we'll be strong to the end. Our faith is that he's faithful. And we're holding to him. See, the good news is Jesus does bring life to us all. He does. So I want to create a quiet moment right here and right now. And Early on, we painted a very clear picture that this relationship with God isn't about us trying harder or asking for a do-over and trying to do better, but recognizing that without Him, we're hopelessly, hopelessly disconnected from God. But because of what Jesus did and what Jesus did alone, we're made right with Him. And if this morning, if you believe that, if you believe that and you connect with that for the first time, then I want you to just raise your hand and we want to pray with you. Say, Brandon, I believe it. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 awesome. Believers, I want you to lift your voice with these. I want you to say this. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus. That he covered my death. All my sin, all my shame. All the stuff I wish I wouldn't have done, it's dealt with. And I'm righteous. I'm right with you based on what Jesus did. I thank you, Lord, that's going to bring some happiness to my life. That you don't count my sins against me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we have the Hernandezes over here and the Lahones over here. I just want you to stand up. We'll have someone in T9. If you need prayer for anything, they're here to pray with you. I appreciate you giving me a little more time this morning. I want to pray over you as we go out of here. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you and your love for us. Lord, we know that you're faithful, Lord, and that this isn't about us being able to do and perform heavenly father but this is about what you do and lord and just like with believing abraham lord we hang on to your words your words of promise heavenly father lord that you're a good god Lord, a god of covenant heavenly father you bring you bring health to those that need it heavenly father you be, bring relational restoration for those that need it heavenly father you bring <clears throat> bring hope to the downcast, Heavenly Father, and joy to the depressed. Lord, we hang on to you and we thank you for that. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have an amazing Sunday. Appreciate y'all being with us. School of Ministry is tonight.